<laughs> well, you've got a very nice piece, uh, Stan. Yeah. Which one? I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, what you've got. So this is a Bramont. Bram oh, very nice. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have an awful lot of watches. I've got about over 40 of them. It's, it's probably my primary indulgence. <laughs> that and writing books about anaesthetic esoterica. Hi everyone, welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm Lahiru. Uh, and I'm Stan. And, and I'm Michael. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So today we're we've got a special guest on today. <laughs> today we've got a very special guest. That's uh, Lachlan Rappi. And uh, he's, so he's a senior staff anaesthetist who's worked mainly in Toowoomba Hospital in the southwest of Queensland. He was a former rural GP and supervisor training for over a decade, as well as the deputy director of the Department of Anesthesia for several years. Now, most importantly for us, he's been a primary examiner for almost a decade and a member of the primary exam subcommittee um, and really spent a whole lot of time helping trainees pass his exam. Now, quite interestingly, we just had a chat about watches. So he really enjoys bird keeping, playing tennis and expanding his watch collection. Um, but I mean, very interesting for us. He's written quite a number of books. So the board anesthetist, the cynical anesthetist, the first year, and also the anesthetist companion. And now something very relevant around the ANSCA primary exam companion. So we might kick off, kick off Lachlan. Um, why did you write this book? Um, it was a book I always wanted to, to write. Um, I like writing books. Um, and uh, my registrars over the years said, oh, you know, you should write a primer book for, for the primary. And and I agreed. But in retrospect, I don't think I could have written that book early in my career. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly it's helped being an examiner as well. Um, and certainly the experience of being an examiner, I think, has resulted in me being able to write a book that is a whole lot better than what it would have been without that examiner experience. So the, the book is ultimately written to help people pass the exam. That's the whole the whole point of it. Um, and um, it's been really well received and and I'm very it was the hardest book for me for me to write. Um, as, as you mentioned, Lara, I've written quite a, quite a few books. Um, but this was the hardest one to write because I was, acutely aware that I wanted to get everything right in this in this book. Yep. And you know, you, you talk about it being hard and um wanting to get it right. Like do you mean get it right in terms of the concepts or getting right in terms of the coverage? Um a, a bit of both. I have to be selective in terms of what the coverage is because the curriculum is so broad. And as I say at the start, what makes the primary exam so tough is I think the single biggest thing is it's just an incredibly broad, wide uh, curriculum. So I've got to be selective with what I talk about. Yeah. Sorry. And, and you know, in the, book, in the book, it's really interesting. You talk about that you've been doing this for the last decade and you've noticed that the pass rate still remains the same, around 55%. If you've got some, you know, ideas in terms of why this is why it is still it is and despite the content not changing why aren't we able to sort of improve that i'm i'm talking at a um fundamentals of success workshop um next next week and i've actually been doing some more number crunching and looking at the stats and stuff um as as, as part of that and 
I've been further impressed by how incredibly consistent the pass rates have been, how incredibly consistent the performance in the MCQ, the SAQ and the Viva almost never changes, despite changes in the format of the exam. Um, and I, th I think it's a very broad curriculum that there's a bunch of people who pass the exam fine regardless. Um, there's a bunch of people who struggle get through the exam and there's a small proportion that find it a, a real big struggle um, and some of them will, will never get past it. Um, you know, anesthetic trainees are all highly intelligent, clever, clever people. Um, you know, the primary exam for most people is the first time they've ever failed an exam. Mm. Um, and the, the, the content for the most part, I would argue, is not particularly difficult. The problem is that it's so incredibly broad and you're expected to know in quite a degree of detail and conceptual understanding just about so much stuff. So with, with the pass rate of 55%, not, I mean, our, our whole aim is to try and get that pass rate up to 100%, but it, are we are we just knocking our heads against a wall if, if it just doesn't change no matter what we do? You're publishing a book, we're, we're doing education. Yeah, well, <laughs> it... It does. It does seem a, an arduous task, but but that's what we're all, all trying ultimately to do. You, you're quite right, La. We're we're trying to improve that 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 rate um, at the end of the day. So I mean, there's that large bunch of people will get through regardless. Um, mm. So whether or we can improve that significant proportion, um, that forty five percent, whether we can make that better. Um, remains to be seen. Like we don't know if the fundamentals of the success workshop um, changes outcomes because we haven't been doing it for very long. Sort of COVID mm. um, interrupted that. Um, and um, yeah, be interesting to see if my book changes anything. I mean, I don't think well, I can take. I, I don't think I can take credit for. No, that's the. It's got to be interesting to see if an uptick. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll mark this day, November twenty twenty two. We'll look starting at the stats. Yeah, starting from March 2023, we'll start seeing the uh, uptick in terms of the pass rates. Yep. And then I'm sure that we can do stats on it and uh, find that uh, it will, it's going to be clinically significant. So that, so that will be very, very exciting. So Lachlan, what, what is in the book? Um, if you were to kind of give a short summary of, I guess, the chapters or the content. Sure. So the, the bulk of the content is, um, I suppose, a relatively short, but adequately detailed explanation of a bunch of physiology, pharmacology, and equipment and monitoring uh, concepts. Um, it's all core exam material. There's very little non-core stuff um, discussed. It, um, it's all exam favourite material. So, you know, as I like to break, it's all killer, no filler. So there's quite a lot of, in the pharmacology bit, there's quite a lot of pharmacokinetics. There's quite a lot of stuff about propofol um, pharmacokinetics um, because that's core to our practice and it's um, poorly covered in the text. So mm -hmm. I've chosen topics that are asked frequently that are poorly done in the text for the most part. Um, and, and over my examining career, I, I see the same mistakes being made all, all the time. Um, despite the answers to all 
questions set in a primary have to be referenced to the set text. Yeah. Um, so that's what, sorry, that's what the bulk of the book contains, but there's also other stuff. There's 500 short format questions at the back, which are very similar to the short quiz questions in the back of Kerry Brandis's Physiology Bible book. Um, and there's also um, about 85 um, short answer questions divided up into six question sets mm-hmm. um, along with not so much answers but outlines of answers and and common um, identification of common errors made. I've used these practice SAQ questions for, for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and you, you mentioned like the important concepts that come up repeatedly in the ANSCA primary exam are dealt with poorly in the recommended text. Is it because they, the recommended texts require like a higher level of proof or evidence before publishing or, you know, what, why is that, do you think? Um, I would suggest to you that for the most part, the textbooks are crap. <laughs> That's right. We, we, you know, instead of complaining, just go out and write your own textbook. That's uh, I like that. Um, um, you know, the 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 set texts. Uh, if you ask most anesthetic trainees, what did you think was the most useful textbooks? Um, most of them wouldn't say uh, Miller or Power and Cam. They'd say probably Kerry Brandis's book, which is excellent, but it's only about physiology and it is selective. Um, and it's not a textbook as such. It's an exam private, but it's written in a style that that's explained stuff. And my book is similar in that in that style, I suppose. Yeah. Um, most of the books are written by Americans or British. There's hardly any Australian uh, textbooks. In fact, there are none on the set on the recommended reading list. Hmm. Um, and you know, Miller's a good book, but, but my goodness, you you have to search hard to, to find it in there. Um, it's it's not a book that that you you read, and also um, Miller of late has suffered from having startling emissions. For instance, the uh, Sessler's chapter about thermoregulation uh, was canned for the last edition, so there's absolutely nothing in Miller about thermoregulation. Wow. Um, the whole chapter about, I think, um, effects of volatile agents on um, on the lung or something or the brain, there's a whole chapter that, that that's that's missing. And they've had a whole bunch of new editors and stuff, and, and the chapters tend to be rewritten, and I think they're done quite poorly. I think the EEG, the EEG slash BIS monitoring chapter um, is fairly poor in Miller, and I don't think there's any set text that, that deals with EEG um, adequately at all, and that's why I've got a particularly long section on the EEG and this in my book. Yeah, nice. Look, and just the other thing that I thought was pretty great about your content was um, just having a list of diagrams that you should be familiar with <clears throat> and really just having lots of curated SAQ vivas, list of opening viva questions, um, uh, you know, it's really, really seems like there's a lot of content in there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like to think um, I know what stuff I think is going to be particularly useful to, to candidates. Um, it's very much focused on exam stuff, like there's no peripheral stuff 
in that book, everything in there you need to know. Um, and and I always come back to the core because generally speaking, peripheral topics, um, non-core topics are usually dealt with quite well by the candidates because um, they tend to be often just content-based. Um, and so you're less likely to be asked about that in the viewers, um, a, a simple content-based uh, viewer. Uh, but it's it's always the core stuff that that people get tripped up on usually. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot here in this book to help trainees pass this exam, Lockie. And if look, if I was studying for this exam and I've read the book, amazing book, um, I would have the book at the start of my journey, aiming now for August 2023 or later, because there's a lot there in terms of how to set up yourself yeah. for the exam. Yeah. But there's also a lot of you know relevant chapters that um, I think you can use to solidify and revise your knowledge as you sort of cover them. Um, and and then after that, at the at the end, you've got these thirteen SAQ sets with about six to seven questions each. Um, and I think that's good to sort of use for your revision period before the written. And then you've got your short and sweet section, which is um, for the viva. And I think it. So, you know, even a lot of the trainees here today, they're, they're probably sitting for the March 2023 exam. They can yeah. still get the book and use that SAQ sets to revise for the written and then that um, short and sweet section to revise for the viva. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the, the book is is being written to help with the, the whole anaesthetic primary journey. Um, so, as, as you know, there's quite a bit of stuff about that are just my personal thoughts about how to prepare for it and the exam resources that are out there, um, of which my book is just one one piece. There's there's a whole stack of stuff, including your podcast, which I haven't mentioned in my book, but I will rectify that situation. It's very <laughs> easy to change the content of books on Amazon, fortunately. Um, but it, there's just like so much stuff out there, like including things like Plute. Uh, at, at the time when we did Plute, um, we had good intentions and an awful lot of effort went, went into Plute. But I personally find it not a particularly useful tool to use in terms of exam preparation. It's more useful for probably the person who's who hasn't even started studying for the primary properly, just something that they can look at each day just to get them thinking about something. Well, but, um, to give you some feedback about uh, Plute, Lockie, I mean, and it's such an... Uh amazing resource like what you have what you and the group of examiners have created i think when you do it section by section i think in itself it feels that way in terms of that it's not useful but what you've actually done is you've actually curated over time a list of um true false answer statements and a list of ideas and concepts that have actually been collated together and i've actually seen documents which have collated all those ideas together and that in itself actually creates a document that i think trainees find really useful so um, you know, I think with all these ideas, even for us, uh, what what I think about these ideas is that it's always like a three, four year um, project. And then after that, another iteration comes on, which builds onto those ideas. And I think that's how education and the way that we transfer information gets better. Because ultimately, we've got this 55% pass rate that I think, you know, you look at that, we've, we're trying to find an intervention which makes a significant difference. Imagine if you had, you know, a... a um, uh, I guess any disease which had a forty-five percent morbidity, like any in, you would you would going any intervention that you want to put in can make a significant difference. So I think this is where your book comes in. You know, it's another iteration, another 
um, build upon all that knowledge that's um, you know that we've sort of created over the last decade. And I think this is where we really, you know, like Lai and I are really enthused about these ideas to help improve, you know, training success. Lachlan, you've got you've recommended a 43 week kind of study plan for the written. Um, and so that's pretty good to know because we've got like a 46 week plan for our, you know, for the written for our trainees. So was this a plan that you wrote up as a trainee and followed or a kind of a plan you curated over time or experience as an SOTU examiner? Um, I, I sort of cobbled it together as, as I was writing the book. I did look at other people's um, study things. Um, and, and I think for, for the most part, you know, you, you're talking about, about a, a a year um, of fairly dedicated study, um, but you've got to give yourself rests and breaks and stuff. So out of 52 weeks, 43, 44, to me, sounded about right. I mean, I, I personally took less. I know other people took more. There, there's a broad range. Yeah. The thing about this exam, as I keep on saying, it's a huge, broad curriculum. It just takes a long time to get across the amount of stuff. Um, and and passing the exam, certainly passing the MCQs, is is a reflection that you've done enough work, you've done enough stuff, you've packed enough uh, facts into your hippocampus to um, to get past that that step. And I think there's a lot of overlap between the SAQs and the Vivas um, in terms of they essentially have to share the same sort of content, um, the same sort of concepts are, are asked about. I haven't done all that much about MCQs um, in in my book because um, there's other excellent resources for, for MCQs, particularly you know Mac ninety five. Um, Lockie, I know I know um, it wasn't addressed in the book, but um, do you have any sort of advice for those who haven't gotten through the exam and are preparing again for the next one? Do you have you know as in your experience from your from your decade? Have you got like a plan in terms of how to approach a second or third sitting? I'll be giving my five cents worth at the um, Fundamentals of Success uh, workshop. Um, I'm a big believer about practice, about focus, practice, SAQ preparation. So I, I talk about two phases of things that you do. One phase is you look at, four or five exams worth of past SAQs. So let's say you look at four exams worth, that's 15 questions, so that's 60 questions. And you research and write your own um, gold standard answer to those SAQs using all the resources at, 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 um, that you've got available, including, you know, Amanda Diaz's things, which are, I think are excellent SAQs, ketamine nightmares, propofol dreams. You know, there's a whole bunch of things out there that you can use as a resource um, to help you um, get your SAQ answer for the past uh, questions. And there will be a percentage of those past questions that you've done that will be asked again on the exam because. There's only so many ways you can ask the same sort of thing. So old questions will always be uh, repeated. There will always be a majority of the SAQ paper will be a majority of questions that have been asked before. So that's one phase. You research, you write in your own hand um, your old um, previous um, exam SAQs. 
then closer to setting the written, you do the second phase, which is you do a set of, and I suggest I've got my curated set of SAQs, which is about 84 questions. And you do those, a set of six questions under exam conditions. So you give yourself one minute perusal per question. So if you're doing six questions, you've got six minutes perusal and then have an hour to, to write down your answers to those SAQs. Preferably don't look at the questions before. So you're looking at them um, afresh and then you need someone to mark them. I think this is a really important part of it. And it's really nice if you've got an examiner in your department or someone who's who's willing to mark them because I, I think this is where possibly my influence for my registrars has, has made the difference um, to the to the ones who, who are in that struggling bracket. Um, because getting timely feedback from someone who knows what we're after with those SAQs, um, I think is, has, has made a big difference. So you're practicing SAQs that are again, directly exam related, covering stuff that you could well be asked in the actual exam or, or the vivas, and just getting clear what misunderstandings are there already. Um, and, and just it's, it's uh, replicating that exam experience of not having seen the question the day before and not having time to mull it over and just seeing how much you can, you can produce unprompted. Hmm. That's really good. I think the idea of, yeah, I think the idea of feedback is such an important one and comes up very commonly with, um, you know, the ideas of making sure that you've got resources around you, consultants around you, consultants who are really engaged in the process. I think for a lot of trainees who don't have that, um, you know, don't have that resource available, what would be some of your suggestions to, to help them? Because I know your book has actually got um, comments with regards yeah. to each SAQ. It Can does. they use that to mark their own? Um, Absolutely. You know, that, that's, that, that's, that, that's the whole point of putting that stuff in, in the book because they're pretty much the same question set that I've been using um, forever. Um, and... And I've, I don't know, well over 100 registrars, yeah, easily well over 100 registrars um, have done those same practice SAQs over the years. So I see the same patterns, the same um, mistakes or errors being made continually. So you're benefiting from from the experience of all these these other guys. Um, so um, I've... I've given an outline of those common problems. A, a lot of the SAQs will be about a topic that I discuss at length in the book elsewhere, and I'll I'll just say, you know, um, read this section or whatever or see see that section. So um, the, the the guts of, of a uh, answer are there for most of the SAQs um, already in the book. Not getting it marked or getting it marked three, four, five, six days down the track is is a far less useful exercise. So you you really need that timely feedback. And if 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 you do a one out of five SAQ, that's your cue to to do that one again. 
And, and so, Lockie, just to clarify, when you say timely feedback, it's feedback on the day or do you think the day after? The day or the day after, yeah. So I, I get my regs to, to handwrite the answers and then scan them and email them to me and I basically mark them once I get them. That's what I've done and, and I will appreciate that it's it's hard to get that timely feedback for, um, from other people in, in other centres um, you know, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to get other people in, in your study group to mark each other's things and you can use a, a template from my book or from, you know, ketamine nightmares or something like that um, as as an example answer. Um, but but you gotta, you've, you've got to get someone else to mark it. And I think that follows on from a question from the, um, the chat, which um, just asked that, you know, if there was an examiner or boss who doesn't know what Ansgar wants, uh, the model answers from, you know, Propofol, Dreams, Ketamine Nightmares, Amanda Diaz, are they and are they reasonable to use to mark against? But, and, but I think your advice is really good in terms of you don't use that to mark against your own paper. You actually get someone else to actually have a look at it for you to actually mark it. And if you can't get a consultant, at least get someone in your study group to do it. I think that's really yeah. good feedback. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the SAQ model answers on on all the various blogs and stuff, I think that they're all very good. There are some with, with little errors here and there. Um, you know, nothing's perfect. I'm sure there's errors in, in my book. You're doing incredibly well to reproduce verbatim something that that is in front of you on Ketamine Nightmares or, or Amanda Diaz's um, site. So if you reproduce that thing verbatim, you'd, you'd get at least a four out of five, if, if if not a five. But it's really, really hard to reproduce that. I mean, yep. what you're aiming for is a three, three out of five. You're aiming for, for threes. No one gets a whole bunch of fours or fives apart from the medalist maybe. Most people will get a mixture of twos and threes and the occasional one. And what you want is more threes and twos to, to, to get an invite. The SAQ um, pass mark is incredibly consistent. It's always around about 50% actually pass it, like at 50%. A bigger percentage get that 40% mark and above, which gives them an invite to the virus, presuming they pass the MCQ. So people still do pretty crappily at the SAQs. So the SAQ um, uh, performance, I don't think, has particularly improved um much um and that's the area where you've, you've got the most to gain because the mcq is a pass fail thing so once you've passed that mark it's then 50 percent of the marks are from your saq 50 percent from the viva and the problem is if you go into the viva and you've just got between 40 and 45 percent marks with saq that means you've got to get 55 to 60 percent in the vivas and most people that struggle to get that invite for the saq mark a marginal saq mark they're the same people who get a marginal viva mark and mm. so that's that's the that's the the bracket of people that i'm trying to help get over the line in terms of the ones that get to the exam and also the ones that are failing the MCQ exam, they're the ones that have a knowledge 
deficit, I think, um, and perhaps doing things like a practice MCQ exam um, or even even looking my short format answers, um, questions and answers. Um, there are a couple of tools that can be used to determine what your knowledge base is like, whether you're ready to sit the exam in the first place. Welcome. So just on another tack, what was your favourite yep. chapter or subject to write? Uh, I'll tell you what my least favourite one was. Uh, that was electrical <laughs> safety in the theatre. <laughs> I mean, does anyone understand that? <laughs> um, I, I left it to last because I didn't find it particularly um, palatable. Um, I, I did enjoy writing the EEG um, one. Um, I spent a lot of time um, taking photos of EEG traces on my patients. Um, that was a bit of fun. It was a bit of fun going down to ECT, putting... Um, Bis traces on patients having ECT, um, which is a little bit tr tricky because they've got their own electrodes, but you, you can certainly do it. Yeah. Um, and you get very nice pictures of EEG trace of someone having a seizure. You know, it's it's a bit of bit of a pet topic of mine. I think it's particularly poorly um, treated in, in the books. So um, I went I went to some lengths to try and make it a, a good one. And, and as I acknowledge in the, in the front of the book, Peter Schuller, who you've had on your um, podcast, um, Peter certainly assisted in um, in uh, editorial comment on, on on that chapter. Yeah, I always um. And so, lucky. I was going to say all those so all those um EEG traces on that chapter. They've actually been curated from yourself from yeah. uh, your readers. Wow, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So it's actually real life examples here. That's the best kind of teaching you can get, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I, I always hate the fact that I think most of us just use that number on the EEG and we don't really look further in depth at the at the waveform. And it really is within reach, for, you know, to, to learn and to analyze and to, you know, make, make sense. Totally. Of you, yeah. you should be as familiar with an EEG waveform as you are with an ECG waveform or an arterial trace. Yeah. Um, and the least useful part of the BIS monitor is the number, which unfortunately is what most people focus on. But the, it's the least useful part of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> the most useful thing is the EG waveform. So if, if you want to make me groan, <laughs> put a BIS monitor on and don't display the EG waveform and run your anesthetic to the number. It's a <laughs> sin. <laughs> and and then give muscle paralysis to get the number down. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, okay. yeah, you well, got that. I was going to ask you. Um, so, where can the trainees buy your book, and how much is it? Um, so it's um, available on Amazon. So you can buy um, the hard copy version. It's eighty eight bucks. Um, and talking to um, registrars and 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 stuff it seems to be pretty quick turnaround time most people get their book two days after they order it so amazon just prints it on demand mm -hmm. um and it's also available in uh, kindle ebook form um and that's um slightly cheaper at 70 bucks mm -hmm. the um the the kindle form um has got some color bits in it the um the hard copy um 
book is it's a four size it's 266 pages but it's it's all black and white mm -hmm. um and i deliberately chose that's all the eg bits mm -hmm. um i deliberately made it black and white inside it's it's cheaper um to produce and also i wanted to sort of be true to the um, exam in terms of when you're writing diagrams and stuff usually you just you know you've got a pen and pencil so it's in black and white so i've i've deliberately made that decision to to, to have it in black and white and, and looking for the audience can you just show what the book looks like i think you've got one in your hand right now yeah so it's an it's an A4 book, pretty much yep. like the size of Brandis's yep. Um, yep. Army Bible book. Yeah. Yep. Yep. S similar widths as, as well. Yeah. Except and it's bright it's bright orange, of course. It's my favorite color. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the lucky color. Now there's 290 pages in that book. Is that right? 266 or so. 266, yeah. On the Kindle version, which I've got, there's actually Oh, yeah, Kindle, Kindle will be different, yeah. yeah. Kindle's got 400. Kindle, pages, um, yeah. Kindle manages the size depending on what your yeah. tech size yeah. is. Uh, so it's different formatting for Kindle depending on what device you're looking at it, yeah. yeah. It's really good to know that um, it's a print-on-demand service because um, I must admit, I actually checked the, um, the link a couple of days ago and it said that it had sold out the paperback version, but now I think it's back online again. Yeah, so it is. It is. You know that um, uh, if you just wait a bit of time, they'll yeah, catch yeah. up with the and you should be able yeah. to get the... Uh, yeah, one of my registrars mentioned that to me the other day. Um, and then when I looked again, it had it, it gone away. So my understanding is that, that they, they, they printed it on demand. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. How, Loki, how long did it take you to write the book, just out of interest? Um, probably about a year and a half or so um on and off yeah i i i found it undoubtedly the 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 toughest the toughest um book to write yeah but it took a, a year and a half and sort of every exam that that happened prompted further ideas and further revisions and further stuff and then when i'd written it all i, I circulated it to a dozen or so of my colleague examiners and of course they're a very tough crowd. Um, <laughs> so then I had, had to uh, make further multiple revisions and, and stuff, but um, it, it it was all worth it. I think I'm pretty happy with the product, and um, and if if I can make my fellow examiners think it's think it's pretty good, then um, yeah, um, I've I've done well. Well, that's the thing. None of these things ever stay adequate, do they? You constantly have to review and revise and and change and modify and update. Yeah, it's it's interesting in terms of the content though. That really nothing much has changed. You know, I set the primary eons ago in nineteen ninety nine, um, and I looked at the paper that I sat, and exactly the same paper could have been. Could be set for the next exam you know the, the actual content has not changed very much we've only had one new drug on the anesthetic pharmacopoeia in my career and that's sugamidex like yeah. everything else has always been been around um yeah. so the actual content hasn't changed very much 
things like you know anatomy and equipment and, and monitoring have been shuffled a little bit back back and forth but but the 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 essence of things hasn't changed yeah um very much hey, Lachlan, a bit of a, maybe a bit of a controversial question um so with that 55 percent pass rate that's just constant is, is that because there's a curve you know the more that we train our uh, junior niece this the better they become and then it's always going to be this pass rate of 55 percent is 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 there anything like that happening even accidentally we don't bell curve the marks whether you pass is 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 it's truly it's 50 50 percent or more mm. so there's some lucky candidates that pass because they got 50.1 and there's some unlucky ones who fail and they got 49.9 and that really does happen I think it's um, that we're, we've got a very consistent group of um, people that choose to do anaesthetics. There's always going to be a bunch of clever ones that, that prevail. There's always going to be a, a smaller cohort that, 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 that struggle um, and that smaller group of people that find it really, really tough. And, and the ones that that struggle, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. But but the core problem is this exam is so bloody huge and has such a broad curriculum, and it's just really hard to get your head around it unless you've got a very organised approach um, to it and a you know willing to to sacrifice. Um, a year of your life, which everyone has has done, yeah. And so, personally, as an examiner, it's 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 really challenging to to help those people who've not just failed it once, but have failed it two, three, four times. Mm. Um, you know, if if we knew the magic answer, we would have we would have found it by now. Sorry, I was going to say anecdotally, lucky. You know, from what I've seen over the last couple of years. I think there's actually been an improvement in the um, SAQ. I mean, you can tell me in the SAQ marks. Um, and but where I think trainees are sort of falling off is at the MCQs, where it's evolved, where they've stopped a lot of repeats and a lot more new versions or variants of, of you know old versions come up. And trainees are recognizing less and less of that more. And I and I think anecdotally that's where a lot of trainees are actually falling off. They're, they're meeting the um, 40% mark for the SAQ, which is still borderline. And, and you would say that, you know, gives you actually a lot of challenge to pass the vivas. But I've actually seen a lot of trainees actually get through on, you know, marks of 45 um, for their written, but then they didn't get through. They just miss out on a couple of marks on the MCQs. Is there, have you seen like a trend like that at all? Or has it been consistent over the last uh, decade? I think it's a similar cohort that, um, that, Fail the MCQ um, and and get a marginal mark in the SAQ, um, but that's a smaller group of people. It's about from from memory, it's about fifteen percent. Uh, yeah, about fifteen percent will fail the uh, MCQ of everyone sitting, um, and about five percent will pass the MCQ, but um, not get forty percent in the SAQ, and the majority of people who 
who fail the MCQ also fail the BSAQ. Don't 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 get an invite there. One of the things I really enjoyed about this book was your last chapter, 20 things to do after passing the primary exam. Yep. Out of those 20, I know you've cancelled one off, and I won't, I won't tell uh, I won't tell the uh, audience which one you cancelled off. But um, aside from that one there, which one of those would be your favourite one to do? I need to refer to my book here, Stan. Um, <laughs> I just want to go through this list because it's quite, it's quite great. Um, read a book if you want to read. Thank all the people, especially your family. Go away for a nice break somewhere. Have a celebratory party with your study group. Repay your sleep debt. That's a big one. Enjoy spending time with loved ones without feeling guilty. Excellent. Jot down the vibes you had so you can use them as practice vibes on your colleagues because you'll be <laughs> practicing with your colleagues and training the next generation for, for years on that on, based on those vibes. Definitely what I've been doing. Uh, reflect on how much you know now and how little of it you'll retain a month from now. Go to the cinema, see that later ridiculous Marvel movie release. Tend the neglected court of your garden. Declutter the office. Treat yourself to a little retail therapy. PlayStation 5, perhaps. Appreciate how learning all that stuff has made you a better and this. Catch up on all those WBAs you've been neglecting. Learn a new skill that's not work-related. Juggling, very nice. And binge one of the many HBO series everyone's been raving about. Construct an action plan to lose those extra kilos. Very good. And teach a med student a concept you understand properly now and start studying for the final exam. Probably number six. Enjoy spending time with loved ones without feeling guilty about needing to get the books. Oh, yeah. lovely. Yes. Um, but it, it's funny, a couple of my registrars who, who recently passed the exam, they're, they're pretty much going through that list and ticking off, <laughs> ticking <laughs> off the majority of them, actually. It's, it's almost like an immediate bucket list. And, uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> very good yeah. uh, No, Thank you so much, Lockie. I really appreciate your time. I mean, you, your insights over the last 10 to 20 years on this exam is just, in, you know, invaluable. And, you know, I've read the book and I think I highly recommend, um, you know, all the trainees out there to at least grab a copy. I think it will help you immensely. And as I said, we'll mark this day as the day where we'll see an uptick in the pass rates. <laughs> hey, Stan, are we going to do some kind of special thing at this point? Yes. <laughs> Let's do a competition. I mean, uh, where um, I think Lara and I will um, will give up some of your books Lockie, to um, members of the um, or what, the listeners out there. So, oh, awesome! Um, for the audience out there, you know what does forty-seven millimeters mercury represent in the Elgular gas equation? Just email us their answer in, and you know we'll pick someone and we will um, announce the winner yeah. um, next episode. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. So we'll give a couple of answers. For, uh, so the email is lahiraandstan at gmail.com. Yeah, get your answers in. We've never done this before, but it sounds exciting, and we'd love to yeah give out some free copies of this book. I collected all, all copy of all <laughs> some of my other books. So, my, yeah, apart from the what first year, which is a you know, a serious textbook <laughs> with plenty of uh, lighthearted material for yes. for uh, levity value. All, all the other books are written for entertainment value. Thank we'll put the email. Uh, in our description in the chat, in our podcast uh, at the end. Yep, yep. So it's in the front of the book. So the lmrathy at gmail.com. Yep. Beautiful. 
Hey, thanks. Thank you so much, Lachlan. That's an absolute pleasure, absolute honor to have you on the podcast and just, uh, and the fact, you know, just really, really appreciate all the work you've done over the last decade, just helping trainees get through this exam. And I think, you know, we all, we all wish we had a Lachlan in our department to, to you know, help us out and give us all that extra knowledge. So yeah, thanks very much for joining us. Please share this with anyone who might be interested and yeah, tune again for the next episode of Anesthesia Coffee Break. See you guys next time. Thank you very much.